This is the Illumina Genomics Podcast. Hi, and welcome to episode 23 of the Illumina Genomics Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Broman, and I'm a scientific liaison here at Illumina. Every podcast, I interview genomics experts who are shaping our understanding of science and nature. Familial hypercholesterolemia is an inherited disorder that can lead to premature cardiovascular diseases like heart attack, stroke, or coronary artery disease. In people with this disorder, genetic mutations can cause elevated levels of cholesterol in the blood. Over time, elevated cholesterol can lead to plaque formation or even blockage in blood vessels. Globally, 1 in 250 people have familial hypercholesterolemia, so it's a relatively common disorder. Despite that, only about 10% of cases have been diagnosed. And that's really unfortunate because it can be effectively treated with cholesterol-lowering medications. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Guillaume Paré, Associate Professor of Pathology and Molecular Medicine at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Guy is also the Canada Research Chair in Genetic and Molecular Epidemiology and Director of the Genetic and Molecular Epidemiology Laboratory at Hamilton Health Sciences. Guy's research aims to understand the genetics of complex diseases like hypertension, coronary artery disease, and cerebrovascular disease. He and his team also aim to better understand, predict, and ultimately prevent these cardiac diseases by developing better genetic and molecular markers. Guy started our interview by explaining how he became involved in genomics. Genomics came to my life because of some key people that really had a great influence. I remember when I was in med school, I was trying to figure out what I should do, what I like. And then I got the chance to work at the Lipitz Clinic in Montreal with, you know, one of the leading clinician scientists in Canada, really in a pioneer in the worlds of lipids. And his name is Dr. Jean Davignon. And as it happens, in Quebec, there are a lot of genetic cases of high cholesterol. And this is a major health problem. And this is due to a funder mutation. And, you know, because of this, we see a lot more cases of what we call familial hypercholesterolemia. So then I went at McGill University to work with Dr. Thomas Hudson, uh, who is clearly one of the uh, leading figure in Canadian genetics. With this, I completed my master's. Later on, I went to do my postdoc at Harvard with Dr. Paul Ritker, who was also a, a pioneering cardiologist, and then came back here at McMaster and you know continued to work both with patient, spending a majority of my time looking at genetics and cardiovascular disease, and especially interested in applying the knowledge that we've acquired and the genetics of cardiovascular disease to patient care. You know, I talk to a lot of people who are doing research on cancer as their particular focus. And I think among a broad community of scientists, and even I would say the general public, there's this understanding that cancer is a genetic disease, or at least there are well-described genetic predispositions to cancer. So I'm thinking, for example, BRCA1 and BRCA2 
And there are mutations in those genes that increase the risk of a woman developing breast cancer or ovarian cancer. With respect to cardiac diseases, I would think to the general public, it's less clear that there are genetic links to risk for developing cardiac diseases. Do you agree with that? I think it's a, it's a misconception that is, you know, not only within the general public, but even within the medical community. For example, if we think about familial hypercholesterolemia, so that would be, you know, the, the cardiovascular disease equivalent of BRCA1 and BRCA2. And it's a disease that is linked to cholesterol metabolism and individuals carrying a familial hypercholesterolemia mutation they inherit very high levels of cholesterol, and they are quite at increased risk of developing cardiovascular disease. The carrier frequency of familial hypercholesterolemia is about 1 over 200 individuals. So this is, you know, way more common. It's fairly common. This is very common. And actually, we think this is the most common genetic disease in our society, and actually we can find it throughout the world. And it's completely treatable. You know, we have such good treatment now for cholesterol. And we do know that if we pick up someone carrying a mutation early and we offer preventative therapy, then, you know, we can bring down the risk to the risk of someone that doesn't carry the mutation. So which of the patients are routinely tested for the particular gene variants that you described? So unfortunately, right now, if we look at the North American context, I would say very, very few. And I would say that, you know, in some cases, if it's shown that the patient has very very high cholesterol, then, you know, physicians might think about this and might request testing. But it's not systematic. It's not well known. And in fact, you know, we estimate that about fewer than 5% of familial epidermia cases I've been properly detected, diagnosed, and, wow. and treated, and it's probably an overestimate. Now, that being said, it definitely can be done because some countries are doing it. So the Netherlands has been at the forefront of work in this area, and I think it's because their government and, you know, some pioneering scientists and clinician scientists have recognized this as an important public health issue and they've really put in place a system to detect these cases, to refer them to appropriate care facility, and then to try to track down the mutations in families to make sure that, you know, nobody else is missed within the family. And, and at least in the Netherlands, there's other countries that are doing very well. I believe over 70% of cases have been diagnosed and are treated. So it's something that's doable. Unfortunately, in North America, both the U.S. and Canada We just haven't done a great job at it. Related to that issue, you recently published some really brilliant work that we're going to talk about shortly. But one of the things that your work suggests is that in addition to testing for single gene variants, that there is clinical value in analyzing multiple genes or at least multiple variants in genes in terms of early onset coronary artery disease. In general, how receptive is the clinical community to this kind of what would constitute multi-gene testing for this disease? That's a great question. So maybe I'll start off by explaining a little bit what we've done. Yeah, and, please. And then I'll, I'll go on to uh, more specifically to your question. So we have a particular interest in cases of very early uh, heart disease. These are, you know, folks in their 30s or 40s with a first heart attack. So this is a 
very prematurely and severely affected patient population. And I think, you know, when we see these patients, you know, the first thing that we think of is familial hypercholesterolemia. This is something we know well. But the fact of the matter is, is that we've seen a lot of patients such as these in our clinic, and a lot of them simply do not have high cholesterol. If you were looking at cholesterol as a biomarker, you would miss a proportion Absolutely. of these patients. And, and, you know, so these are, this is a very extremely selected, this is the tip of the iceberg of severity. And in fact, these patients that we're studying and the report you're mentioning, this is about the 1% most severely affected patients that we see here in our region. And I would say that in about only 10% of them, can we find a mutation that would be consistent with familial aproxosolemia. And in 90% of them, some of them have slightly elevated cholesterol, but really not to the extent to explain, you know, why someone would have a first heart attack at 34, for example. And there's simply no good answer. And essentially, this is the problem that we wanted to try to tackle, which is really rooted in, you know, the clinical work that we do. And what we came up with as an hypothesis is that induced patient, it's not a single mutation with a big impact, as we see in familial aproxerolemia, but it's rather the accumulation of many much weaker variants. And when we put them all together, you know, this results in a substantial risk. So essentially what we've done is we've looked at 192 genetic variants that are known to be associated with the risk of heart disease. Each of them carries a fairly small risk, I would say, but if you put them together, and if you're only key enough that you've inherited a lot of these risk variants, then this can result in substantial risk, or at least this were our hypothesis. So we, we went out to test the hypothesis, both using the UK Biobank, which is a very large epidemiological study run out of the UK. And we've been very fortunate that they've made their data available to scientists around the world, as well as the very own patients that we've seen here in Hamilton, Canada. Right, local patients. The local patients I see in my own clinic. And this was really the primary reason why we started all of this. And essentially what we found is that our hypothesis seemed to be right and that in these patients, we did find a lot more of these weaker variants and that there was this enrichment. But I would say the big surprise though is that when we tried to compare the risk of heart disease associated with what we've called this polygenic risk score that is combining these 192 variants together, to the risk of carrying a familial hypercholesterolemia mutation, well, it just turns out the polygenic risk is a lot more important uh-huh. than the risk of these rare mutations. And for example, if we say that carrying a mutation that leads to familial hypercholesterolemia leads to about a fourfold increase in risk, and there's about one over 200 people that carry such mutation, Well, if we look at the polygenic risk score, there's about one over 50 people that would have an equivalent fourfold increase in risk of having heart disease. So it's it's much more common. And, you know, we found, you know, quite... It's it's five times more common. It's five times more common. And we found quite a few cases, uh, you know, that I did this IRS and we believe that this was a strong contributor to their disease. 
And if we look, you know, I'm just thinking like these are such dramatic patient stories, but the patient that had the highest polygenic risk Mm -hmm. in her study was a 42-year-old female. And, you know, she did have some risk factors. You know, for example, she was a smoker, but nowhere near to explain having a heart attack at just a young age. And actually, when talking to her, then she told us, well, you know, my sister also had a heart attack at age 47. Wow. In her case, the polygenic risk score was predicting a a six-fold increase in risk as compared to the average Canadian. So clearly, a very, very, very significant increase in risk. She had normal cholesterol. So this is one of these cases where we say, well, maybe we have to switch our thinking. And, you know, sure, the single gene rare mutations are important and we have to keep looking for them. And it's a public health emergency. But there's more genetics to it, and we have to think a little bit outside the box and other mode of inheritance for this disease. If you are able to detect an increased risk, which, as you said, there are treatments, very effective treatments for people who are at risk of developing heart attacks, if you're getting to the level of 1 in 50, it sort of begs the question of, is this just going to become part of your annual medical exam when you reach a certain age to just test for these factors? I personally believe the answer is yes, for several reasons. The first one is that the technology is getting, you know, so much better, so much accessible, and the cost associated is decreasing that it just makes sense to me. And not only this, is that the way we can calculate risk as well is improving. And I would say that when we've done this score, I would say our score was fairly crude from an ethical point of view, and we now know we could do much, much better by combining a whole lot more than 192 variants. I was going to ask you about that. And that's the direction we're going, is to combine 100,000 or millions of variants together to have a maximally predictive risk score. And I think to me, it, it just makes a whole lot of sense if we can target the right individuals for preventative therapy and really put our healthcare money in these individuals that need it most. The second reason why I do think that, you know, we will see this become common in a clinical setting is that when we do genome-wide genotyping, so trying to target all known common variants, and we definitely have the technology to do so, as you know, we can not only do gene scores for cardiovascular disease, but then we can do score for cancer, we can do score for all types of disease for which we might be able to have preventative intervention. So, I think, you know, to me, having, you know, whole genome sequences or, or genotyping done in the clinic really makes a lot of sense because the value of this information, I think, is already tremendous, will only grow with time, and I think will enable us to improve patient outcome, which is the real goal. Are you doing any work to try to understand some of the mechanisms or functional consequences of some of these genes? I know that you said the first 192 were known to be associated with cardiovascular disease. Uh, But as you look for more and more variants, are you finding variants that contribute to the score that weren't necessarily known to be associated? And are you interested in how some of these variants functionally lead to uh, an increased risk of developing the disease. It's interesting that, you know, you raised this because we do have a project that is just about to be published that is looking, you know, 
specifically at that question. And essentially, you know, what we've done here is we thought to ourselves, like, isn't it cholesterol great? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> is it? <laughs> and, and, you know, I mean, cholesterol, I mean, to me it is, I might be biased, but, you know, I think it's fascinating. I think it's cholesterol is great because it's a marker of disease, right? right? If we measure cholesterol, if someone has high cholesterol, we know this is a risk factor. But it goes beyond this because we know cholesterol is also a causal mediator of disease. And actually, you know, like the, the cholesterol plagues is what causes heart attacks and heart disease. So it's not just a bystander. You know, we measure it if someone has a higher concentration of cholesterol, then that's a risk factor. That's a risk factor because cholesterol tends to go in the arteries. It builds up. It creates these plagues in the cholesterol plagues at the arteries, and that causes problem. And cholesterol is great because we've got treatments that we can use that are very effective and safe to decrease cholesterol. And we know from randomized clinical trials that they work. Right. So we say, well, we know we have cholesterol, it's great, but is it possible that there's other cholesterols out there? So other blood biomarkers that we could measure that are causal mediator of heart disease, and hopefully that at some point, you know, we could target with a drug or other intervention to decrease risk. So what we've done is we've done a, a large screen of 237 blood biomarkers combined with Again, genome-wide genotyping and using this framework, which I guess we could call system biology framework, to try to identify, you know, new blood biomarkers that could fulfill these characteristics. And, you know, with this, we came up with a list of five biomarkers, and three of them were known to be causal mediator of heart disease, and two of them were novel, and they were linked to inflammation pathway. And that's quite exciting because there's evidence from randomized clinical trials that this could indeed be effective at decreasing heart disease. But now with this, we might be able to target more specific pathways within this immune system that might be related to heart disease. So this, this has been our approach to try to get to, you know, more mechani- mechanism. This must also lead to new blood biomarkers, and our hope is that this might lead to treatment. But all of that being said, it does remind that a majority of the genetic risk variants for heart disease have a unknown function or affect some pathways that are unknown and that we can't really detect through, you know, blood testing. And I think, you know, this is why genetic testing will always remain important. Looking forward five or 10 years, where do you think genomics will be in your field? Are there technological breakthroughs that you're looking forward to? Look at a crystal ball five to 10 years from now. Where do you see genomics in your research and in in your clinical practice? The cost of sequencing is decreasing exponentially. And I think that at some point we will reach this point where, you know, the cost of sequencing will meet the value even the dollar value to the healthcare system of having this information. And to me, this is the tipping point. And once we will have reached this tipping point, this is where this whole genome sequencing and genomics analysis will go from a curiosity that clinicians and scientists find very cool mm-hmm. to something that will say, oh my God, you know, 
if we do this sequencing, the healthcare system is gonna say $150 and the sequencing costs $100. It will not take a whole lot of time <laughs> to spread like wildfire. So this is the breakthrough that I'm waiting for. Whether the time limit is, is five, 10 or 15 years, this is so very exciting. And I think this will be a paradigm shift on how healthcare is done and patient.com, basically. That's the bottom line. That's the most important as well. Well, Guy Poray, thank you very much. It's been a wonderful conversation. I really enjoyed spending time with you. And thanks for joining us on the Illumina Genomics Podcast. Well, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Anytime. So analyzing multiple gene variants in the context of coronary artery disease can identify more people at risk of developing heart attacks, even those who don't have elevated cholesterol. New genetic and blood biomarkers might one day supplement cholesterol to help prevent cardiac disease. But that's all for now. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you won't miss any of our interviews with genomics experts. Join me next time when I'll be talking with Dr. Julie Segre, Chief of the Translational and Functional Genomics Branch at the National Human Genome Research Institute in Bethesda, Maryland. We'll be discussing the human skin microbiome and its impact on human health and disease here on the Illumina Genomics Podcast. <laughs>